0: Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect Pacific Northwest authors with new listeners and provide advice for inspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for coming to the podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest, Today, I have Pat O'Neill, and I'm really excited to get Pat on the podcast because she was one of the first authors I tried to get on earlier, <laughs> and we finally got scheduled. So Pat, say hi to everyone. Hello, Vicky. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you bet. You bet. So Pat, tell us, um, what state do you live in in the Pacific Northwest?
1: Well, I live in Washington. I actually live uh, just outside the state capital, Olympia.
0: Oh, one of my favorite cities in the whole world is Olympia. I love it to death there. (laughs) I used to live there for a while and had master plans to come back, um, but I think we're going to stay where we're at for now. But I have family in Olympia, so I get to go enough to visit. (laughs) Nice. So, Pat, um, do you have a current day job or are you living the beautiful dream of writing full time? Oh, I wish I could write full-time. Uh, no, I, I am a
1: uh, part-time cashier mm-hmm. for a national uh, liquor store chain, oh, uh, Total Wine & More, mm-hmm. and
0: uh, they have been extremely supportive of my career. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I love that store. I um, Visited it often when we lived in Olympia. So you probably wait on, waited on me and you didn't even know it. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, love that store. I call it the uh, Disneyland store for adults. It's just fantastic in there. Yeah, I, I like to joke re- around with the customers and call it Booze are a uh... Yes, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun. We love it. Um, so very cool. And I'm glad that they're supportive of your writing career. So do they let you have time off if you have to do a book signing or things like that?
1: Well, it hasn't come to that. Um, you know, many, many writers, uh, when they announce that they are going to start writing to uh, have their work published, Mm-hmm. might not receive the uh, support from family members mm-hmm. that uh, that they would like. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, close relatives will maybe roll their eyes and say, yeah, okay, yeah. you got to do hobby. No, the mm-hmm. people I work with have been,
0: yeah, you got another story published. Yay! Oh, I fun. love it. Oh, that's so great. You know what? And you're so right. There's so many of us that – I'm I'm not speaking from experience. I've been fortunate to have fantastic support, but I do talk to a lot of authors and so many stories start out with us being younger as authors when when they you say, I'm gonna be a writer when I grow up, people will try to talk you out of it or say, Hey, that's not the, a real job, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> so I'm so glad you have that support. That's awesome. Yay for total lines. <laughs> we should see if they'll yeah, do it. Yeah, yay for total lines. Yeah. And it, and it- <laughs> having a day job pays for my editing fees <laughs> uh, exactly yeah I know I know but it is challenging having a day job and a writing job and it's just it's a lot of work isn't it <laughs> it,
1: it is it It is and I'm of the age where um, when the sun goes down uh, I do too So
0: yep. hey, <laughs> uh, that I, is I, I in do our house it. as well
1: <laughs> yeah so, so I don't write in the evening. Yeah, and I just I just write in the daytime, and so I, by not working every single day, it allows me to
0: uh, dedicate several hours to writing uh, at a time. That's so great, Pat. My husband and I were just laughing the other night because he gets up super early because he drives up north for work every single day. And so we've we gotten the habit of getting up very early. And um, we go to bed early too because our eyes just can't stay open. And um, I'm like, man, I used to be the night owl. And now I, I go to sleep yeah. at 30 and there's no way I can write that that time of night. I'm just, I'm worn out. <laughs> yeah, so I hear you. Yeah. So here's a story. Here's a stumper question. So um, you didn't get this in your preparation, so I'll ask it and then we can let you answer it. Um, But it's a stumper one. It almost always stumps the authors. Um, But if you listen to the podcast, Pat, beforehand, you might know it's coming. Um, tell Tell the listeners and your future new readers what you would like them to know about you right up front. Right up
1: front, I'd like them to know... That I'm a people person and because of my interactions uh, with other human beings that's what I write about my stories they may have there may be something fanciful in the plot or the situation or a character but it's the main character of the story is going to be a human being, and how they relate to whatever situation, it's going to be a human response. It's going to be something that everyone can say, either,
0: Yeah, I have felt that way, or I know someone who has felt that way. I love, makes- it. love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm sorry. What else were we going to say? <laughs> No, I was going to say, does, does that make sense? That, that is- makes absolute sense. I totally get it. And I love it because not everybody writes that way. And that is typically everything I write is based on an interaction or emotional situation that I've been around or been involved in. It just generates my writing. Um, mm-hmm. So fantastic, and I love that you set that precedent because it goes right into our next question. Um, share with us what you've published, and particularly what genre in your what genre you are in. If you're in more than one genre, let us know. And then, um, what's your titles you published? Well, first I have to. I'm I'm going to answer that by giving you just a
1: little bit of background information about myself. Super cool. Um, uh. Two years ago, August, this upcoming August, I found myself out of work for the second time in two years, mm-hmm. and since I was at the computer daily filling out all these job apps, when I wasn't doing that, what was I going to do, sit on the couch and watch movies all day? No, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to invest myself in something, and then I had a really detailed dream so okay I'm going to put this on paper. It ended up two and a half weeks of working 8 to 5 every day um I, I came out with a novel. I love and it. And it was it the novel called Finding Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh it's not been to an editor. It has been read by several people who 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 have who like it, but they've likened it to
0: uh
1: a runway model uh with nothing to wear
0: oh what a great beautiful decision. woman interesting with, with nothing to wear right mm-hmm.
1: but so I had this novel what am I going to do with it how am I going to make it better uh, what what shall I do and I was a face, on a Facebook group where one of the other members of the group was a published novelist mm-hmm. so I contacted her her name is Santa Hein and I asked I explained my situation and she referred me to a couple of other Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Um, one in particular was the elements of genre.
0: Ooh, nice. I like and, that. We're gonna have to get that in show notes. <laughs> yeah,
1: and uh they uh I shared some of my story. Uh, mm-hmm. they they pointed me in other directions and I eventually um Found out that you know, I need more practice before I can go back and and, and do any real editing uh-huh. on on my novel. I need more practice writing to to become a better author. Uh-huh. Because because if I if I if I don't know how to correct my errors, it's, there's they'll never be corrected properly. Yes, correct. So I started the short story okay uh the short short story was the challenge uh that allowed me to to work on a smaller project mm-hmm. in my mind, every chapter of a novel is a short story in and of itself. oh, I agree, I think the same thing
0: so great great awesome
1: and, right and so that's so that's why um I started writing that way uh true that you didn't have the um Excuse me the uh, the luxury of being introduced to these characters through a previous chapter. So you have to you have to hook the reader to make them want to be interested in your character. You want them to stay interested in how what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And you want to resolve the situation at the end of the story that is going to be plausible, and it's going to be satisfying. And you're going to want the reader to say, "The end." I want to know what happened next. What's exactly. the next chapter? Tell me yeah. the next story. Yeah. And that's the way. That's the way I go about my writing. So, um, I submitted a couple of uh, short stories uh, to a. So uh, you know, it was an Of words. One of the of words books by Scout Media mm-hmm. and got polite rejections, which didn't kill me. Uh-huh. Um, that, was, that was expected. Mm-hmm. And I became friends with some people there, um, one of them, uh, Dennis Doty, and he says, well, you know, I'm an editor. Why don't you send me your work and we'll, we'll see what you do. Well, another thing you have to learn, what people don't often do, is when your editor sends back your paper marked in red, mm-hmm it It's the same as if you were in a college course. Uh-huh. The reason that the teacher marked your paper all up was because this is where you needed to have things corrected to build on your strength. Uh-huh. You need to overcome this error, and um I learned from what he was telling me uh-huh. uh, he it took two or three story for him for me to get over he was going to come and remove the semicolon from my keyboard (laughs) um yeah we don't we we don't use that key anymore but uh (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) but so what i'm saying is is you have you have to Learn from the people around you. You have to take your past lessons, your rejections. If a story has been rejected uh, two or three times, or what's a similar pattern? I mean, if, if the editors bother to come back and say, "Well, you know, it didn't meet our need," or you know, I, I just felt it, it didn't go too deep in it. So, what what were they trying to tell you? Learn from that lesson. Make the changes and and. Then go. So I had been writing a little less than a year. One of these stories that had been rejected previously, that Dennis then um edited, and then I marketed around a little bit, finally got accepted in uh anthology askew, uh mm-hmm. volume four communications. Uh that is by uh another Facebook uh group, the Rhetoric Askew uh Askew Publishing. And uh, my story, uh, Sarah Hemming, Psychic Redecorator. Oh, that wow. I that <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, it's, when they said communications, I said, well, I have a story of uh, communicating with a ghost. And they said, well, yeah, that's communication. And so um, I, I, I got into this thing of liking themed anthologies. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that one was, uh, was October will be a year anniversary, followed by a story, uh, called witness testimony, which was in relationship ad ADD vice, uh, by the zombie pirate publishing. Okay. And then I've had a string with the same publisher, uh, Clarendon house publishing in, uh, England, and I did, uh, Flashpoint, uh, which was, uh, flash fiction. Mm-hmm. I have a story called No Deed Goes Unpunished.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they did one if in their books called Storm, which is all fantasy. I did one called Girl of His Dreams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That one, uh, involved, uh, World War II. Oh, nice. Uh, then, uh, in their book, um, uh, Vortex I I did, which is a literary one I did one called K.D. Rose and that was a uh, rodeo themed story and the one Windows which came out in June uh, is with children's uh, anthology mm-hmm. and that one I did uh, called Trixie Newman's I Want to be a Princess <laughs> I love it <laughs> And then I have, um, three more successes. Uh, spillwords.com. Uh, they on July 3rd, uh, printed my story, uh, Georgia, 1966, mm-hmm. which is a cool story because, uh, it was an adventure that my mother had and she told me about it. And, uh, I finally put it down on paper. Then I did one, uh, In the Crow Literary Journal, their inaugural issue called Pink and Gray Ash. And then in writing a story for um, an upcoming anthology, I have submitted the story called The Matchmaker's Reward. I had too many words. So I ended up cutting the scene. I cut that scene and I said, you know, this is just too good. So I saved it, and I worked on the scene after I'd submitted the the larger uh, story to my editor. I worked on an, and massaged it, sent, sent it to the editor, kept it in there, and that was called Bougie de Voyage. Oh. And I submitted that to uh, Fay the Well from Dream Punk Publishing, and they accepted that one right away. That's huh? going to come out in early 2019. Meanwhile, the parent story still hasn't been accepted yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so um, we'll make sure that all of that is listed in show notes or, or point back to somewhere where everybody can find your short sure. story anthology sure. on, in the show notes because um, quite prolific and it's only been um, a year, did you say in October since your first A year? October is my first the first story was published.
1: Like I said, I've only been writing I've been only been writing uh since October
0: 2016 in August 2016 well good for you you're my inspiration now Pat because I just decided in January of this year that I was going to start working on publishing and short stories seem to come easier for me even though I love to I'm working on like, two fiction books um, but I keep mm-hmm. back to short stories as my I'll do writing prompts in the morning and it seems to come much faster for me that way <laughs> so I might be doing some anthologies as well and trying to submit what I love about the short story is also in a way I'm
1: building an audience. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So eventually when my when my novel is is finally released, there will be people who go, oh yeah. I know I know the name. Oh, we should probably mention the fact I don't
0: write under the name of Pat O'Neill. Oh, you probably should tell us what you write under. That would be helpful (laughs) for everyone. Yes, (laughs) I I write under the name of P.A. O'Neill. P.A. O'Neill, and that's that's O'Neill with one L. Okay, we'll make sure that's in show notes as well. I usually ask authors before I start the podcast if they write, in um any other pin names so thank you for pointing that out to us we'll make sure everybody knows that and they can find that in show notes so um, right let's talk a little bit about your support groups around you do you are you involved in any associations you know you mentioned quite a few facebook um groups that you you've been involved with and we'll get those on show notes but what about any face-to-face organizations and how No, no
1: Face-to-face right. organizations, no. I'm, I'm not involved with anything, and it's not for, for not wanting to be involved. I just have not had the time exactly. to, to join any groups. Mm-hmm. Um, all my support has been online support with, with um, different Facebook groups. Yeah. And I've become very good friends with several of, uh, several of the other members. Yeah. Uh, you'll find that when you, when you join these groups, Many people overlap in in these groups, so uh, mm-hmm. you can be talking to one set, and then you'll find these same people in another group. So if they know you, and mm-hmm. and they'll welcome you. Uh-huh. Uh, also, many of these people have decided to become independent publishers, exactly. not just self pub but actual independent publishers. Mm-hmm. And so if you support their publishing house, you know, then maybe down the road, you know, they
0: give a good recommendation for you, or even use your work. Yep, exactly, and that's the beautiful thing I love about this time in publishing literature is that, and it's what draws me right now because I am technology savvy. I I work in, I've worked in IT. I work from home, remote, and I love the aspect that Facebook, and I've even found a nice group of people on Twitter really supportive support groups online um, which works well for introverts such as myself because you can get a tremendous amount of support and great in help from online groups it's it's fascinating so so it, awesome. it is it is the uh, I, I have I
1: have found that right now you I have to agree with you that we are of an age I've noticed that there are a lot of uh a lot of the writers that I have become friends with I've later learned that they're of my same age era Mm -hmm. uh, give or take 10 years on either side Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons for that is because we are now Facing the end of what would be a job cycle, and oh, exactly. we either have retirement or we have more free time, and we're coming back to our first love.
0: Exactly, exactly, and that's and, what I find. This,
1: is, mm-hmm. yeah, and this this is a uh, this this is something that that a lot of us have all of a sudden found common. Um, many of these people have not been writing for years and years and years and mm-hmm. it's, it's oh i've been writing five years i've been writing 10 years at the most mm-hmm. and uh so they can all relate mm-hmm. it, that also leads me to another thing is i would like i think there's an untapped audience for um female uh stories directed towards females of a later age mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely i mean you have, you have your you have your modern day romances. You have your cutesy romances. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have your young adults and so forth. But but what happens when you get to be you know forty five and beyond? I agree. Uh, with you don't drop off the face of the earth. So there's there's got there's an uncapped audience of, of men and women out there who um
0: who are needing to have books about them. I agree with you hundred percent. Yep. So I'm, I fit right in that age group. And what's really interesting is what started for me was I have a career, but I'm at the place in my career where, um, I'm ready to start thinking about my retirement plans in the future. And I, I was, I, my husband, God love him. He's like, you're such a great writer. Why don't you plan on writing in the future? You know, as you retire, write. And it makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And so that's what started this whole journey. Was my whole thing is to lay out that platform, lay out the whole groundwork, get some books started, so that and and published, so that by the time mm-hmm. I do retire, I'm already in the process. I'm not starting it at a retirement stage. I'm actually hopefully will be so busy by the time I retire, I forgot that I retire. But it's busy doing what I'm exactly. Doing. <laughs> that's what my plan is. So. So I hear you at a lot of the authors I interview are at the stage where they have just retired or the working towards retirement and their plan is to write in that process. And mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. brilliant goal. I'm right with you. <laughs> so yeah, fantastic. Well, let's do this. Let's set you up for the reading. Cause I I'm ready to, he- I'm just excited to hear you read. So, um, Why don't you share whatever backstory you need to before you start reading about the characters or how the story came about? I'm going to go on mute. And then when you're done reading, I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay. So um, I was nervous about what, what to read.
1: And I called my sister who has been my, my greatest support through all this. And I said, what should I read? She said, Ten, I, I've been offered 10 to 15 minutes, and she says, I want you to read your first published story, Sarah Hemming, Psychic Redecorator. And I said, well, what part? And she says, well, read the whole thing. It shouldn't take more than 15 minutes. And I says, okay. So Sarah Hemming, Psychic Redecorator by P.A. O'Neill. Ring, ring. Come on, come on, answer already, he said aloud, as if verbalizing his thoughts would somehow make a difference in the reception at the other end of the call. He paced the floor of a small hotel room, cell phone in one hand, a bent business card in the other. Ring. Hello? You've reached the office of Sarah Hemming, psychic redecorator. Please leave a message and a contact number at the end of the tone, and I... Hello? 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 This is Sarah Hemming. I just walked into the office and heard the phone recorder come on. Are you still there? The voice was lilting and pleasant. He stopped pacing, relieved he wouldn't have to leave a message. Um, yes, I'm here, Miss Hemming, and my name is Eldon Pearl. I hope I haven't caught you at a bad time. I could call back later. Uh, No, Mr. Pearl, this is actually a good time. I just stepped out to get the mail. What can I do for you? The woman's voice sounded young and sincere. Eldon thought about how he could explain his situation without sounding foolish. I i have your card, Miss Hemming. It says you are a psychic redecorator. Could you explain to me what that is you do? Sarah sighed quietly. She sat down behind a desk in hopes she wasn't speaking to a reporter from one of those silly magazines, the grocery checkout line. Like my card says, I'm a psychic, Mr. Pearl. Yes, but what is it that you do? I mean, it says you're a redecorator. Does that mean you specialize in Gothic or spooky decorations? No, certainly not, Mr. Pearl, she replied with a touch of indignation. When places are remodeled or renovated, excuse me, spirits which have existed in dormant states have a tendency to become unsettled. This can become disturbing to the living inhabitants or the workers. So that is when I'm called in to put right the psychic vibe of the building or the location. Do you comprehend what I'm saying, sir? Oh, thank God, yes, I understand. At least I think I do, Miss Hemming. I think I need your help. He paused and took a deep breath. The thing is, I think my house is haunted. Sarah Hemming agreed to meet Eldon Pearl the next morning at the address she jotted, jotted down as they had talked on the phone. He explained that he was new to the community having arrived after he had inherited his great aunt's home. He said he'd never known the woman, but he remembered his father speaking fondly of spending time at her house. Sarah drove up to the curb in front of the early 20th century arts and crafts bungalow and parked her Subaru wagon. The front yard was littered with boards, concrete blocks, bales of roofing shingles, and there was an industrial refuse bin parked in the driveway. Though there was evidence of some work having been done, There was no working there now. The only individual to be seen was a man standing on the sidewalk. He was tall, casually dressed, and appeared to be in his early 40s with a touch of gray frosting his short cropped hair at the temple. He was leaning on a car, his hands in his pockets, but quickly stood up when she turned off the motor. Sarah buttoned her trench coat and slung her messenger bag over his shoulder before she got out of the car. She walked over to the restless man and held out her hand mr pearl my name is sarah hemming eldon pearl was surprised by the strength of sarah's grip and by the fact that she barely stood five foot not that that should matter he thought she's not bad looking either he held on her hand maybe a moment too long and blushed slightly before letting go yes thank you for coming at such short notice and please call me eldon You may call me Sarah, she replied, as she turned her attention away and moved along the sidewalk until she was directly in front of the house. She stood there quietly with keen interest, observed every detail of architecture. She listened to every noise and smelled every fragrance for almost two minutes. Her eyes drifted from window to window until she came to the lone dormer window on the second floor. She was already familiar with the structural design of this style of one-and-a-half-story bungalow with its wide veranda, built-in bookcases, hardwood floors, and dark framing around the interior windows and door casings. In a gesture so sudden it surprised him, she turned and asked, Tell me the story from the beginning, Eldon. Why did you call me here and what do you want me to do? Eldon put his hands in his pockets and looked down as he spoke. Well, like I said yesterday on the telephone, this house belonged to my father's favorite aunt, Alicia Gordon. She died about 25 years ago, left it to my father, who died about three years ago. I'm sorry for your loss, but please continue. What did your father do with the house for almost a quarter of a century as it was in his possession? Well, it's just that. He didn't do anything. He just continued paying the taxes. And no one other than Aunt Alicia has lived here? No renters or cousins? Eldon looked up at the house and solemnly answered. No, she was a maid aunt who doted on my father as if he were her own son, I guess. It was just for sentimental reasons he had gone to the place. Eventually, it became mine, and without having the same sentiment, I thought I'd do some renovations and flip the house for a profit. You don't think your father would have mind you selling this? I mean, if he was the fond of the house. He put his hands in his pockets, looking down at her as he admitted he didn't have his father's luxury to keep the place as is. In fact, I figured the small investment of renovation for cost for the house I inherited would bring a substantial profit. But if things continue as they have, I will be in deep depth before the delays. Delays? What kinds of delays? She asked with keen interest. He shrugged his shoulders before answering, well, like the workmen being spooked. Spooked? In what way? Sarah took out a dictation pen and began to take notes, looking at, at him only for questions. This is going to sound silly, but they smelled perfume a lot. I had the kitchen redesigned, and they smelled it when they started removing the countertops and cabinets. Had you smelled the perfume before? I mean, you had to have entered the home before, hadn't you? Well, of course. I've been in the building before. I walked through it with the property manager when I was first given the key, and again with the kitchen designer, and again with the construction manager for the firm I hired to do the remodeling. He pulled his right hand from his pocket to tick off on his fingers as he spoke, Are you telling me you've only been in that house three times in your life? Eldon placed his hand back in his pocket, thought back sadly and nodded his head to answer her question. And you've not been in the house since the strange occurrences have begun, have you? No, I haven't. But it wasn't because I was frightened or anything. I just don't live locally, that's all. He answered like a schoolboy trying to come up with an excuse for a missing assignment. Ah, so I see, she murmured as she kept writing. Tell me, please. After the strange perfume, what other unusual occurrences have there been? Well, the foreman of the job-reported tools were being moved. At first, they thought one of the guys was playing pranks. It was happening so frequently, the workers began to complain. Did any of them ever feel threatened at any time, she asked, with the seriousness of an investigative reporter? Well, from what I was told, no, not at first. But when they started hearing music and feeling cold spots, that's when they started refusing to work. Sarah silently reviewed what she had written, occasionally making additional notations. She studied the front facade of the house once more, paying attention to the dormer window on the second floor. She turned to her client and said, the perfume smell could have been from the fragrance of flowers from the neighbor's yard being carried by the wind. The moved tools might possibly have been caused by a worker who gets off on being a practical joker. Items that were moved when people were not there could have been the result of neighborhood children playing pranks. This is an old house in which could account for the cold spots as drafts, and the music could be passing cars, being the music playing extremely loud. Ellen was surprised, and he looked down at the woman with serious expression on his face. He began to wonder if calling her had been the right decision. You sound so skeptical. I thought you believed in spirits and such. Isn't that what a psychic does? Yes, Mr. Pearl, I mean Eldon. I do believe in spirits. I have dedicated my life to the study of the paranormal, but as with every case, all possibilities and explanations must be considered as to what might be the cause and what the construction workers can experience. Now tell me, have you experienced any of these things yourself? I told you I haven't been inside the house in a, but a couple of times. No, I have not experienced them myself. Then tell me, why do you believe it is haunted? Do you believe in spirits, Eldon? He looked down and shuffled his foot as if he were kicking a pebble before answered. Oh, uh, I don't know what to believe, but when the construction staff said they won't return to the site until it's been cleaned, and those are their words, you have to take the situation seriously. So I call of you. When a woman approached on the sidewalk walking her dog, Sarah could see Eldon's discomfort in answering her question, but she suggested they move to the veranda for more privacy. Well, Eldon... I have to say, I think your construction workers might be right about your house. You mean it's haunted? He asked with an incredulous tone. This caused the woman walking her dog to look up from where the dog had stopped to check out the tree in the median between the sidewalk and the curb. He placed a hand on Sarah's upper arm and practically whispered and lowered his face towards her. She's quite a ghost. Sarah placed her free hand on his and gently removed it from her arm. Yes. All indications would say that it is. Now, all we have to do is discover who the spirit is. I suggest we go inside and see if we can make contact while we still have morning light. She put her notebook away, walked to the door, and stood waiting, but nothing happened. She turned looked back to Eldon as if he had the key and would let her in. Somehow, her question snapped him out of, from the fugue he had been since he realized the professional psychic had confirmed his worst suspicion. He excused himself as he stepped in front of her and set the key in the lock. He unlocked the door, but once it was open, he just stood there, frozen before the threshold. Sarah had seen this behavior of foreign clients when it came to the realization that their world intersected with another plane of existence. She sighed and moved through the now-open door, never once acknowledging the hesitation Eldon was feeling. What a lovely home. Oh, yes, you should be able to get an excellent price for it. She turned back to him and asked, won't you come in and show me around? Eldon paused and rather innocently smiled before he stepped into the house. You want me to close the door? You can leave it open if you want. We could use the light, and if it makes you feel more comfortable, she responded with a quiet smile, turned away from him, and walked towards the area where the kitchen should have been. Eldon realized she was aware of his anxiety and quickly followed her so as not to be alone in the room. He made sure to leave the door open behind him. Okay, I get the psychic part. What do you mean by redecorator? I mean, what do you really do? Sarah stepped carefully over the remains of what had once been the kitchen drawers and carefully looked high and low while she answered. Remember when I mentioned spirits don't like to be disturbed? Well, when a place or location goes under renovation or demolition, oftentimes spirits attached to it can become resentful and become an overt presence as a way of complaining about the change. So you're some kind of an exorcist? She stopped her investigation of the remains of the room and solemnly looked at her client. No, I'm not an exorcist, but I do have connections if I need to call one for assistance. What I do is identify the entity and see what can be done to have it moved on, banished, or just go back to doing its own thing without bothering the living inhabitants of who share the physical space. So in a sense, I'm a redecorator of sorts. Let's go upstairs. She abruptly changed the subject and then focused and her focus as she walked into the hallway towards the rear-facing stairwell, leaving Eldon alone in the kitchen with his thoughts about what she had just said. Why is that woman always leaving me behind? He caught up with her as she was beginning her ascent to the second floor and asked, What do you mean by move on? Like going to heaven? She'd only taken a step up when she stopped and faced him at eye level. She has the bluest eyes I think I've ever seen. He realized his thoughts had wandered, so he feigned a cough and <clears throat> begged her pardon before he asked her to continue. When people die, our spirits, she started, our souls, you mean, he interjected. Well, some would say souls, yes, but our psychic energy, our spirit, so to speak, either moves on to what some refer as heaven or nirvana or even hell, I suppose. He found her voice relaxing and slowly began to come around the banister and follow up the stairs. And if someone does not move on, they stay stuck behind in our, what, plane of existence? He asked as he ascended behind her to the second floor landing. Well, there are many kinds of spirits. The elemental spiritual remains of a person or an animal, a a being of a higher order. He'd reached the landing and was now looking at her once again. Higher order? Like angels? Well, yes, but conversely, it could mean demons as well, she admitted. Demons, he exclaimed, suddenly feeling way over his head. Yes, she raised her hands and motioned palms up for him to be calm, but that's not the case here. I suspect we might be dealing with an intelligent haunting rather than a residual one, but I don't feel any trepidation or need to be concerned. Not be concerned, you say? Isn't that the type of ghost that's called a poltergeist the kind that moves things around? Sarah put her hands on her hips and looked at him with surprise. She asked how he knew about poltergeists. I've seen the movie, he said sheepishly, admitted before he sharply turned his attention to, in the bedroom and faced the front yard, the one with the dormer window that Sarah found so fascinating from outside. Do you smell something, he asked, as he walked into the room. He led the way, completely forgetting any dread he might have felt before. They walked into the bedroom and stopped to look around as the dust floated on sunbeams coming through the window. Sarah looked out the window and noticed the woman with the dog had since moved on. This window is closed tight. What is it you smell? She turned to look at the man standing in the middle of the vacant room. He tilted his head as if trying to recall a pleasant odor. I I think it's an old fragrance. A stale smell might possibly be in the wallpaper she offered. No, no, not that kind of old, more like classic perfume. You know, the kind they sold for years at upscale apartment stores. In fact, it actually smells quite fresh. Don't you smell it? Yes, I do. I just wanted to know what you were experiencing. Eldon walked cautiously around around the room until he found himself standing by the front window. I think it smells strongest here. Sarah's lips formed a smile, yet tight-lipped. She looked past her client and gave a slight nod to her head. She looked back at Eldon with a calm voice. That's because that's where she's standing. Like a cat whose tail had been stepped on, Eldon Pearl jumped full pace forward or almost past Sarah. She had to give him credit. He stopped and turned to face the window instead of running down the stairs. Who? Who is here? he asked quickly, trying to maintain a sense of dignity. I think she's your great aunt Alicia. Do you mind if I talk to her? Eldon shrugged his shoulders. No, no, please do whatever you have to do. Just get her to leave the house. Sarah turned away from the man whose face had turned pale in the dusty light and once again looked towards the window. Mrs. Gordon, my name is Miss Gordon, he, he exclaimed. What? She asked as she turned her attention back to the air disturbance. Miss Gordon, Aunt Alicia never married. Sarah looked back at the window. Miss Gordon, my apologies, she said, as she gave a quick glance back towards her client. My name is Sarah Hemming, and I'm here with your nephew, Eldon Pearl, Mr. Pearl would like for you to leave his home and the people he has hired to fix it alone. Do you understand what I'm saying? They both stood in silence for several heartbeats as they looked towards the seemingly empty space of the window. Finally, Sarah nodded her head and turned to Eldon. Well, is that it? Is she gone? He asked with hope. Sarah looked at him and calmly said, she doesn't recognize you. She says this isn't your house and you have no right to be damaging it. Not my house. Of course it's my house. I've got a deed to prove it. Mr. Pearl, Eldon, the spirit of Miss Gordon does not recognize an earthly need. You called her a spirit. Does that mean she knows she's dead? Can't we have a seance or something and banish her? Of course she knows she's dead, Elden. This is an intelligent haunting, not a residual one, she replied, the tone providing instruction as well as explanation. Residual versus intelligent. I don't know what that means. A essential haunting occurs when a spirit repeats the same action over and over, like a recording on a loop. Usually they don't realize they passed away and are just doing what would have been natural in their lives. But that's not the cause of Alicia. No, because I've been able to communicate. It indicates that there's some kind of intelligence behind being able to reason with her. If I discover her reason for being there, it might make it easier for her to see what time to move on. And good to know, but What do you want me to do, he asked with newfound calm. Just stay here and don't be afraid. You can even hold my hand if you want. I'm not a child. No, of course not. I just want her to know that we're together and that she can trust you like she trusts me. She turns back to the window and addressed the non-presence once more. Miss Gordon, will you tell me why you're here? If you know you are dead, why are you still in this house? Once again, Sarah stood silent as she nodded her head, but eventually she offered... But, Miss Gordon, this is your nephew, too. His name is Eldon Pearl. Silence once again, and she turned back to the waiting man. She says she doesn't know you, that you are not her nephew. Well, no, I'm not her nephew. I'm her nephew's son. Well, she doesn't seem to know you. You said she died about 25 years ago, but judging by your age, I said you would have been, you would have been born a few years before then. Yes, I was a teenager when she died, but I never had the opportunity to meet her. My parents divorced when I was a baby and I lived with my mother. I only reconnected with my father after high school graduation. By then, he had sole possession of his property. Sarah put her hand to her chin and thought for a moment as she learned regarding three generations in the family. Finally, she said, what's your father's name? Samson, Samson Pearl, he responded with reverence in the memory of the man who had given him life. Sarah brightened up, smiled a wide smile, and held out her hand to her client. Here, take my hand, I have an idea. Eldon did as she asked, and with his right hand he gently took her left. He gave a slight squeeze as to indicate he was ready to face whatever was coming next. She smiled and turned back to address the window. Miss Gordon, are you saving this house for your nephew, Samson Pearl? Once again, Eldon looked towards the seemingly empty space throughout the window. This time he felt static electricity that wasn't there before and in his ears a faint hum like power lines on the late summer's day. This man is your nephew's son, ma'am. This is Samson Pearl's son. His name is Eldon Pearl and he owns the house now. Just as fast the ceiling electricity had come, it was gone, even though they were still holding hands. Also just as fast was the sound of a violent slam it sounded like the front door, the one they had left open when they entered the house, not 20 minutes earlier. They disengaged their hands, looked at each other with an element of surprise, before they cautiously went downstairs to confirm their suspicion about the door. As they walked into the demolished kitchen area, the fragrance from the bedroom above came back. Is she here, sir? I can smell the perfume again. Yes, she's standing in the middle of the kitchen. Here, give me your hand once more, she commanded. Taking her hand, Eldon began to feel the now familiar surge of electricity that flowed from Sarah's hand through his and up his arm towards his chest. You're angry because that I said that Samson was no longer the owner of the house, she propounded. But just as fast followed, Wait! Don't leave! I think I can explain if you let me. Eldon still clutched Sarah's hand and asked if the spirit of his aunt was present in the room, even though he still felt the current flowing through their bodies. Yes, I think she's willing to listen. Miss Gordon, you know your nephew was married at one time and had a child. Well, this is that child, ma'am. This is Eldon. He is all grown up. She turned to her client, whispered, introduce yourself. What? Where do I talk? Just start speaking. She'll hear you. I hope she'll listen. Um, hello, Aunt Alicia. My name is Eldon. I'm Sammy's son, he said to a dimly lit space in the construction debris. Sammy, I thought your father's name was Samson. He was, but Annalisa used to call him her little Sammy, even when he was a grown man. My father told me one night over brandy and cigars. He confided with a blush. No, no, that's good. I have an idea. Just go with me. Sarah brightened with hope in her voice, Miss Gordon, we can prove Eldon here is Sammy's son if you'll let us. What are you going to do? Show her my birth certificate? I thought you said legal documents, meant nothing to spirit. She said She She's saying something. Yes, ma'am, I understand. Sarah turned to Eldon and took a step back away from him, yet still holding his hand. She wants you to tell her something only Sammy would know. She wants you to prove your relationship. How am I supposed to do that? Just talk. Tell me your aunt and father's story, she said in a pleasant voice. Which put him in ease with each syllable he spoke. Eldon closed his eyes and spoke with quiet reverence. Well, I know that Aunt Alicia has several years older than my grandmother. In fact, she all but raised grandmother after their parents and siblings died during the influenza pandemic. His voice revealed a calm, not present when they were upstairs. He opened his eyes and looked directly at Sarah as he continued. Aunt Alicia's fiancé was killed in the First World War, though she sort of dedicated her life to her younger sister. Well, that's awful. She must have been a very lonely woman, Sarah commented with a sense of empathy. Well, I'm sure she was when my grandmother married, but when my father was born, she turned all her attention to him. In fact, when the Second World War arrived and and my grandfather was sent overseas, my grandmother stayed in the city to work in a factory and my father was sent to live here with Aunt Alicia. Aunt spoke not to the spirit in the air with the still present fragrance, but to Sarah alone. He felt a peace watching her face as he retold the private family story. He knew that both he and the spirit of the late aunt were safe with this woman who looked up at him as if he were the only being on earth. So your father spent several years living here with his aunt? I bet that was hard when the war is over and Sammy moved back with his mother, right? Yes, how did you know? Because your aunt has moved next to you, I can see both love and pain in her face as you tell your story. Please continue, what happened after the war? Eldon was surprised about how calm he felt when Sarah revealed the location of the spirit. My grandmother had established a home for herself in the city after the war. She did ask for her son to come back to live with her. Father said he remembered the expression on Aunt Alicia's face as they drove away. He knew her heart was breaking as much as his. For well, you see, he wasn't much more than a toddler when he moved here, and almost five years later, Aunt Alicia had become more than a foster mother more than just expanded, extended family. My grandmother wasn't heartless, though. She recognized the bond between her son and her sister and made sure to spend all their holidays here, eventually sending family to live the entire summer with, vacations with Alicia. Grandmother, I guess, had changed, too, during the war. She met a man, a veteran, in fact, and went from being a war widow to a new wife. Father told me his stepfather was a fair man and tried to include him in the new family they had started but the only place he ever felt home was here with his aunt Alicia. Eldon's eyes had moistened when he finished speaking, realized how the story was close to his own in the absence of his father and his young life. Sarah smiled sweetly and gave his hand a squeeze, but her attention moved past him to the aura that was now just over his shoulder. She nodded her head and she acknowledged some unheard instruction. She says she believes that you are her little Sammy's son, but she wants to know why you're destroying your father's house. I'm not destroying it, Aunt Alicia, Eldon declared to the air above Sarah's hair, head and then, with a the newfound strength, added that he was improving it. She said she's here to make sure that there will always be a place for Sammy to live. But Aunt Alicia, he pleaded, my father cannot live here. Sammy is dead. The air grew cold in the kitchen area and the fragrance they had smelled disappeared. Eldon looked down at Sarah, who confirmed Aunt Alicia was no longer present. They let go of the hands. "What do we do now?" he asked, with a touch of dis- a disappointment. "We wait, I guess." "Waiting is the one thing I can't afford to do," he said in a defeated tone. She shrugged, and they turned to the living room to make their exit. But as they got closer to the middle of the room, the air once more held a familiar essence. They stopped at the front door as the front door creaked and slowly began to open. They expected someone, possibly one of the construction workers, to be on the other side, but there was no one, just empty porch and a view of the yard and the sidewalk beyond. Elvin instinctively reached for Sarah's hand, hoping once more for the now accustomed flow of electrical current, which would confirm the presence had returned. Miss Gordon, I'm sorry if what your grandnephew has said has troubled you, but yes, his father, Samson Pearl, died recently and left his house to Eldon here. Sammy loved this house. He even kept it just as it was because of the wonderful memories of his time here. But his time with you, ma'am, Eldon doesn't want to destroy it. In fact, he wants to improve it. That's right, Aunt Alicia. This is a good house, and there are lots to love in this house. But in its present condition, if it's not improved, there will not be a house left to love. I want to make this a house a family can once again feel safe and loved in. He spoke to the scented air. Miss Gordon, you have to let Eldon here make it a home once more. You have to let him and his workmen make the changes needed for it to be a home for many, many years to come. She pleaded. Ma'am, if you want to be with your nephew to see if he is safe, you have to move on to the other side where he is. They stood there in silence for what seemed like ages. Sarah, still holding Eldon's hand, looked up to see if the hope she felt was reflected in his face as well. Before she could speak, the front door once again closed on its own, but this time with a gentle sway as opposed to the previous slam. They both turned their attention to the door, but it was Eldon who asked if it was all over. I don't smell her perfume anymore. Do you? I don't sense your aura anymore. Do you? She asked him. Hello? <laughs> And she asked him after this little scan of the confines in the living room. Eldon raised his hand that was holding hers and realized the flow had ceased. And all that he felt was her small, warm hand in his. He blushed and let go, walked over the door, opened it, and let them both out on the now still house. They exited the veranda and went down the steps and moved onto a path before either of them dared to speak. The sun was high in the sky and shone brightly on the cars parked on them. Do you think it's over? I mean, do you think she's gone? It's safe to bring the workers back, he asked, in apprehension of hope. Sarah looked up once more at the dormer window with the front facing the bedroom. She said she could no longer see the woman standing there. Eldon looked up at the window that had looked to him the same that it always had, but he now felt that he understood what she was referring to. I suppose you'll be sending me a bill for this morning's activities. Yes, "'I suppose I will,' she acknowledged as she looked up at him and smiled. "'Oh, here,' she added as she reached into her messenger bag. "'If your crew gets to the feeling anxious again, "'then give them this and tell them to burn it while they work. "'The smell of it has a tendency to calm the nerves "'and is said to keep the bad spirits away. "'What is it?' he asked as he put the small bundle of dried herbs in his pocket. "'It's sage. "'Some believe it helps to spiritually cleanse the air. "'But you said you thought she was gone.' "'I do.' But sometimes others need a little more insurance, she said with a quiet laugh. Eldon Pearl looked down at the face he found so attractive the first moment he saw it. He wished he could spend more time with her. He wanted to tell her how he admired her confidence and competence, and how she made him feel safe and comfortable when he shared the family story. They both stood there, each waiting for each other to, for the first one to say goodbye. I need to get back to my office and see if I have another case waiting, she said. She shook her hand she shook her hand, and although she didn't want to let go, she he did. Self-conscious, he put his hands back in his pockets and watched her go back to the car. Sarah Hemming had said goodbye to the tall man with the touch of gray at the temples, the easy smile that came whenever he blushed, the stammer whenever he was nervous. She reached the driver's side of the car, but as she touched the handle, she stopped and called back to her client who was standing in almost the same spot where she had first seen him, with his hand still in his pocket. By the way, you never told me how you got hold of my card. Well, that's funny you should ask, he quipped, as he was started walking toward her car, pleased that he had yet another opportunity to talk to the woman he found so intriguing. If you let me take you to lunch, I'll tell you the whole story. Sarah smiled. made sure her car door was still locked before she joined in once again on the sidewalk in front of the no longer haunted house. She looked up at his smiling face and thought to herself, if things went right, she would be delivering the bill in person. The end.
0: Bravo, Pat. I loved it. Fantastic story. (laughs) I loved it very much. So listeners, if you loved Pat's story, we'll make sure that um, in the show notes that we'll have all of her other connections so you can find some more from her. And Pat, so much for being, thanks so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you very much, Vicki. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. It was fun. And one final note, podcast listeners, as we're heading into the month of October, I wanted to share with you an opportunity if you live in the Lower Columbia region. The Lower Columbia College Salal Review is going to be accepting submissions for literary pieces in their May um, 19th. So if you're interested and in, in, you're in participating and you live in the Lower Columbia region, check out the show notes. And if you're one of the lucky ones that gets a literary piece in the Salal Review, I'll have you on the podcast this summer. So stay in touch with me on social media. You come back next week to listen to another author on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hoped you loved hearing from the author as much as we did. If you did enjoy the author, make sure you find them on social media. Buy their book and write a review. Are you a published author and would like to be featured on the podcast? Visit us at our website to learn more. You can help support the production of this podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Share the podcast with your friends. And most importantly, become a supporter. Supporters receive monthly bonus podcasts and a newsletter filled with tips from our authors. To find out more how to become a supporter, visit our website. And finally, I hope you always remember to enjoy the journey. Until next week, this is Vicki J. Carter saying goodbye.